Welcome to Lighthouse Church's online service. My name is Jim Hubert. I'm one of the elders here at Lighthouse Church. I want to thank you for welcoming me into your home today to share God's word with you. Let's start our service with prayer. Father God, we thank you today that we can come together as your children and study your word. As we study in the book of Ephesians today in the armor of God and spiritual warfare, I pray that you guide us, that you make your word clear to us, that you clear our minds of, of anything else that's trying to distract us this day. And Lord, most of all, we pray for your blessing. Guide me too, Lord, as I, as I share your truth, helping you to be accurate with your word, never, never moving from the truth of your word in the Bible today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. God gave us the armor of God. He gave us the armor of God. He instructs us and he says, put on the armor that we may stand against the strategies of the devil. God designed each piece of the armor for a specific purpose. Let's go through the pieces right now. The helmet of salvation protects our mind, keeps our thoughts pure, and is a constant reminder that we have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Our salvation in the Lord is secure because God's word says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. The breastplate of righteousness protects our heart, keeps it pure and holy. The belt of truth around our waist represents God's word. God's word is what has set us free, and it's God's word that will keep us free. The shoes of the gospel go on our feet. Father, your word is a lamp unto our path and a, and a guide unto us. Lord, we pray, we pray when we put on the shoes that we would represent you wherever we go, and we would be quick to give an answer about the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation. We hold up God's shield of faith. God's shield protects us from the fiery arrows of the devil and his demons. These arrows hit God's shield and they are extinguished and fall harmlessly to the ground. And finally, we take the sword of the spirit, which represents the word of God. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates the flesh to the bone, separating joint from marrow, soul from spirit. Those are the pieces of the armor of God which God has provided for us. The Bible tells us we are made in the image of God. We have been created with a physical body and a soul and a spirit. Therefore, man is not just a physical being, but we are also a spiritual being. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 confirms that. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. That we would be made whole, our whole spirit, soul, and body. We're not just a physical body. We're a spiritual being created in the image of God. Now, you need to understand something about the armor of God. It is not comprised of actual physical pieces that you can see. 
You can't see the armor. You can't see the sword. You can't see the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, all the different pieces. You could say the, the armor is, is metaphorical. It figuratively represents something in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual world. And in the spiritual realm, it is most definitely real. It is designed by God for us to wear in the spiritual sense. It is very powerful and it does protect us. It does protect us. So I'm going to lighten it up a little bit for a moment. Are you a dog or a cat person? Are you a dog or a cat person? I grew up on the farm where my loyal dog Sport was my best friend. In fact, I'm actually standing on the farm that I grew up on. Sport's long gone, uh, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm still here. Now Sport was a collie and a lab mix, and he was normally friendly and good-natured. Normally, that is. That is, unless you were a stranger and you were getting too close to Jim or little James, as I was known back in those days when I was a little shorter and a lot younger. Sport was that good-natured, good dog wagging his tail. Unless you, he perceived you were hurting Jim, his master, in any way. See, this was back in a time, too, that if I really misbehaved, I could, I could receive a couple of pats on my backside from my dad. Now, I was a good boy, so that didn't happen very often. We'll, we'll leave that alone. However, those pats on the backside never happened while I was in the presence of my trusty dog, Sport. Didn't happen if Sport was around. Sport would have no part of that if anyone even attempted to give me a hard time, including my dad. There were suddenly sharp teeth flashing and a menacing growl that would make anyone think twice about messing with little Jim. I wish I still had Sport around. But sadly at my house now, there's only a cat. That's right. Only a cat. Sorry, cat fans, but no cat can ever take the place of a loyal dog. Never. However, there is an upside to this. I do believe that the cat has figured out that I'm a dog person. Somehow that cat is smarter than I give it credit for because I'm pretty sure it's figured out that I'm a dog person. It tries its best to act like a dog. When I, when I get home from work, it comes running, and when I get out of my truck, it, there, there it is, checking in on me and saying, hello, it's greeting. Often it will jump onto the footstool in front of my rocking chair, where I will start to rough it up a little bit. You know, just playing. And the cat seems to like it, up to a point, that is. But when it decides it's had enough, it just turns around, and ignores me. Apparently, it believes that if it pretends I'm not there, the roughhousing will stop. But it doesn't stop. In fact, that's usually when I turn up the intensity a bit. So, you're probably wondering what, what does this dog and cat story, what does all this have to do with today's message?
Well, here we go. People often fall into two distinct categories with their opinion of spiritual warfare. First category, it's something many people pay no attention to. Like the cat, they think that they ignore it. If They think that if they can ignore it, it will go away and it will not affect them. We don't see what we don't see. Or in other words, we don't believe what we don't see. However, this is naive thinking. This mindset is unbiblical and it's dangerous. The second category of people is this. Often these people become overly fascinated with the occult and spiritual warfare. They think that the devil and his demons are around every corner. They give the devil far too much credit for the evil in, the, in people and in the world, when in fact, often it is just caused by people's own selfish desires. But the fact is, spiritual warfare does exist. Evil does exist. Satan does exist. And this affects all of us. We have an enemy that wants to take us down. His name is Satan, the devil. What do you have when you remove the D from devil? What are you left with? E. There's an E at the front, and it's called evil. The devil is evil. God warns us about the devil in the Bible many times. 1 Peter 5.8 Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a hungry lion seeking for someone to devour. And 2 Corinthians 11.14 says he masquerades, he masquerades as an angel of light. John 8.44 says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a skilled liar. He is a skilled liar. He often camouflages his lies with a shred of truth. Do you recall how Satan tried to tempt Jesus? Listen to Matthew 4, 5, and 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to jump off the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Once again, Satan, using a shred of truth, attempts to lure Jesus into sin. He mixes his lies and his deceit with a shred of truth to try and deceive us and draw us in, into sin. But Jesus responded with the complete and powerful word of God. Jesus said, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus resisted the devil and he fleed. He will flee. God says in his word, submit to the Lord, resist the devil, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Using this partial truth tactic, Satan lures people into sin. Gradually, subtly, one small sin at a time. 
which lead to more and more and larger sin. Here's the truth about sin. It starts out with what seems like pleasant promises, but the promises are empty. The picture on the box looks tasty and tempting, but the contents on the inside are like a slimy, rotten tomato. Sin always costs you more than you're willing to pay, takes you farther than you wanted to go, and will always leave you worse off than you were before. Sin promises freedom, but only brings slavery and misery. Sadly, I've seen too many people come to ruin from sin as they fell victim to the schemes and deceit of our enemy, the devil. Maybe you know someone that has fallen and been deceived and has come to ruin because of sin. The devil would like nothing more than to see you living in guilt and defeat and misery. I believe Satan has three primary tactics to lure us into sin. Number one, the flesh. The flesh, ourselves. He leaves us to our own sinful desires and devices to lure us into the sin. Satan really doesn't have to do anything to make this tactic succeed. We do it to ourselves. We do it on our own. James 1.14 describes this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The flesh or our own selfish desires are the most common path to sin. The second tactic, the devil. Sometimes the devil directly intervenes with his band of demons to lure us into sin. Sometimes he directly intervenes to lure us into sin. Here's a prime example, Luke 22, 3 and 4. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus. Knowing that the devil and his followers are out there trying to lure us into sin and destruction, is not a comforting thought, is it? It's not a comforting thought. However, we need to remember this very important fact. Satan is limited. Satan is limited in what he can do. But God is not limited. God is not limited. God is omnipotent. This word is broken down into two parts. Omni means all, potent means powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. God is omniscient. This word is broken into two parts. Omni means all, science means knowing, omniscient, all-knowing. God is all-knowing, Satan is not. God is omnipresent. Once again, this word is broken into two parts. Omni means all and present. Omnipresent. Present everywhere at once. 
God is present everywhere at once, but Satan is not. Does it help you to know that God who loves you is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present? Does that help you, that truth? And know this, Satan is none of those things. He is none of those things. And finally, the third tactic Satan uses to lure us into sin is the world, the world that we live in. Sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. We all know the story of how Eve disobeyed and took the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and how Adam was passive, allowing it to happen and joining in the sin. The sinful lure of pleasure and pride is all around us in this world. We took a moment, we could, we could count endless ways of, of, of the way this world tries to lure us in with, with pleasure and pride. 1 John 2, 15, 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This world and everything in it is fading away, along with everything that we crave, that, that people crave. But eternal life awaits those who do what pleases God. Eternal life awaits those who do what pleases God. God foreknew the battle we would face in this life. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He knew that we would face a battle in this life, the lure of sin and temptation and the devil trying to take us down. Therefore, he made provision to save us. He made a provision for to save us. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God, Jesus, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. First and foremost, Jesus has defeated sin and the devil. He has defeated them. Jesus' death on the cross and the power in his shed blood paid the penalty of death that, that you and I have incurred from the sins we have committed. If you believe in Jesus, you are saved from the penalty of eternal death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I hope you believe that truth. I hope it's not just in here. I hope that truth is here in your heart. For those that believe in God, the resurrection of Jesus provides proof positive of who wins the battle of life and death. Proof positive Jesus won that battle. His resurrection proves that he overcame death. Eternal life in heaven is the free gift of God for the believer. 
It's free to us, but Jesus paid the price for it. But how do we overcome the flesh, the devil, and the world in this life, on this side of heaven? How do we overcome the flesh, the devil, and the world in our life right here, right now? How do we overcome the spirit, the forces of spiritual warfare? How do we overcome them? Well, I can tell you how not, how we will not overcome them, and that's in our own strength. We guaranteed we will not overcome them in our own strength. However, God has made a way. God has made a way. Number one, the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers to guide us in the way of truth. The Holy Spirit lives in us as believers to guide us in the way of truth. Romans 8, 2-6 And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we have as sinners. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Secondly, God has given us the church. God has given us the church. And when I say the church, I'm not referring to the stately, beautiful building with the steeple. I'm talking about you. You believers, you believe, who believe in Jesus Christ are the church. We are the church. God's people are the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think about ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not forget our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. God has called us to be in community with other believers. Verse 25 makes that clear. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another and meet one, one together with other believers. We lift each other up. We encourage one another. And we're also accountable to one another to help us stay on the track of God's truth. I'm always concerned when I meet another Christian who says, I don't go to church. In fact, I, I met one just over a week ago. It's a nice man, and uh, the topic of church came up, and he just says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I don't go to church. People like that are setting themselves up for failure. 
God has ordained the church. He has called the believers to be in the community together for his glory and their own good. And finally, God has given us his word as a powerful weapon to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. God has given us the Bible, his word, to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. His living word. His living word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path. Last month when I shared God's word with you, I talked about this passage in depth. God's word is the light that overcomes the darkness. The light of his word shines in front of us, overpowering the darkness, exposing the snares and the lies that the devil uses in his attempt to trip us up and destroy us. However, there is a catch. There is a catch in order for God's word to be effective in your life. You have to read it regularly. You have to read it regularly. Study it. Believe it and obey it. You have to read God's word regularly. Study it. Believe it and obey it. Apply it to your life. God wants you to apply it to your life. It's not just a good book you read and put it down. You need to apply it to your life. Because God's word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, it will always transform your life. I hope you join us next week where we look deeper into the armor of God. What each specific piece does. How we put the armor on. How often do we put it on? Do we put it on over our families? We will answer these and other questions next week as we dig deeper into Ephesians 6. I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home. I pray and I trust God's word will bless you. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you this day again for the truth of your word. We thank you for the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit, that you've provided these things to protect us from the evil one who wants to take us down, who wants to trip us into sin and death. But you have made a way for us, Lord. You have made a way for us with your word with the Holy Spirit guiding us, and with the church, with other believers who stand with us and encourage us. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and how you've provided for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you next week.